It's great to have you here, John and Bonnie. I appreciate your word and update this morning. We'll continue to pray for you, uphold you, uh, but thanks for being here, making the, making the trip. We have been studying the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and uh, we've been uh, studying it for quite some time. I've just been taking uh, a bit at a time, not in a hurry. If you'd like a sermon outline this morning or borrow a Bible, just raise your hand and our ushers will take your order. A man was taken to court and found guilty of overusing commas. The judge warned him to expect a lengthy sentence. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've ever been to court before, but courtrooms can be scary places. Uh, What is decided there can completely alter the course of a person's life and impact many others. Now, over the years, I've had a few courtroom experiences of my own. I've served on jury duty. I have been a defendant. I have been a witness for the defense, and I've been a witness for the prosecution. And there are some very unpleasant dramas that take place in the courtroom, as you probably are aware. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing more dramatic than to be on trial for your life. And there's no more dramatic moment in a trial when the defendant takes the witness stand. And there's never been any more dramatic or shocking testimony given on the witness stand than what Jesus gives in the passage we're going to look at today. We enter now uh, just really the last day of Jesus' life as we make our way towards the end of the Gospel of Mark. And I am going to break in at Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 53, if you have a Bible and want to follow along. Mark chapter 14, beginning verse 53. Could we all stand as I read God's word this morning, this in this very impactful passage here of Jesus' trial. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Peter had followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I'll build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest then stood up, came forward, and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. 
And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him, to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists and say to him, Prophesy! And the officers received him with slaps in the face. This is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, Jesus is on trial for his life here. And I'm going to move through this passage today in basically three parts. First, Jesus the accused. Second, we're going to see Jesus the judge. And third, we'll see Jesus the condemned. First, Jesus is the accused. Uh, The Sanhedrin has had enough of Jesus and issued a warrant for his arrest. If you remember, the Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council in Israel comprised of the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. And they were in cooperation with the Roman authorities to kind of keep the peace and make things good with the Jewish people. The Sanhedrin functioned basically as like a supreme court in Israel. They judged legal matters concerning the Jewish laws, and they passed sentences. The high priest served as the chief judge in all Jewish legal matters. After Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin to stand trial. At this point, they thought they had enough evidence to convict Jesus of capital crimes. The text says they were actually seeking out witnesses to testify and support what they had been hearing. According to Jewish law, a person could be convicted on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And as you read the account, the main accusation they had against Jesus was that he called for the destruction of the temple. And they were seeking witnesses who heard him say that and established that uh, accusation. That way they could proceed to have Jesus killed. Threatening the temple was a very serious crime in Israel, could result in the death penalty. Jesus did talk about the destruction of the temple, if you remember, but they misunderstood him. In John's Gospel, chapter 219, Jesus said that if they destroyed this temple, he would raise it again in three days. But he was talking about the temple of his own body, which John clarifies. And Jesus did predict that the temple would one day be destroyed, but he never threatened to destroy the temple or call for its destruction. Even though they sought witnesses to accuse Jesus, the text tells us that the Sanhedrin couldn't find anyone to testify. And those who did were conflicting in their testimony. Their testimony didn't agree that they were giving false testimony. And according to Jewish law, if the testimonies of the witnesses didn't agree, the trial should have been thrown out. Um, But there was nothing about Jesus' trial that was legal or just. It was just the opposite. This is a miscarriage of justice from the very beginning. Now, 
the sense you get in this passage as we move through to the end is the Sanhedrin was so frustrated in their attempt to, to establish this accusation against Jesus so that they could uh, have bring him to uh, be judged and, and, and die for capital offense. Uh, they're so frustrated. The witnesses aren't agreeing. So what happens is the, the high priest stepped forward. He's the head judge. And instead of dismissing the case, he put Jesus on the witness stand. Okay, all these other witnesses aren't happening. Let's hear from the accused himself. The high priest asked Jesus point blank, Are you the Christ? Meaning Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. He's just asking, you got to understand this, he's just asking Jesus if, if he, he's claiming to be the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. He's not in that question intending any reference to deity. Claiming to be the Messiah was not a capital offense. Many had done so in Israel in the past. In the expectations of those times, a Messiah would come and be like a Davidic king and rise up and help them throw off the yoke of the Roman oppressors. They were expecting a very human Messiah. That's all he's asking. (laughs) Are you the Christ? Son of the Blessed One. The Son of the Blessed One just was used, that term was used of the kings in Israel. The king was like a, a, a son, begotten son of the father, Psalm 2, and so on, in their coronations. Uh, it, they, weren't thinking, they, they weren't thinking divinity at this point. It just means closeness to God, like a prophet. When, Jesus, when high priest asked Jesus if he was the Christ, he's not asking if he's God, but Jesus' response was absolutely astonishing, Way beyond, he answered way beyond what they even were asking. In his response, Jesus the accused actually, as we'll see in just a second, actually claims not only to be the Messiah, but to be their judge. When the high priest asked Jesus if he's the Messiah, are you the Christ? Point blank question. He's on the witness stand. Up to this point, Jesus has been silent. But now he's on the witness stand. See, he's in court. This is his trial. He's going to answer and tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now he's on the witness stand. And when the high priest asks, if, are you the Messiah? Jesus first answers, yes. Uh, but he's using the Greek words ego eimi, which translated means I am. The significance of those two words uh, are also the translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, I am. God's personal name given to Moses. <laughs> so it's significant. Jesus is answering, he says, are you the Christ? I am. Ego me. 
In his answer, Jesus is affirming that not only is he the promised Messiah, he's identifying himself now as deity, Yahweh. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to identify himself as the Son of Man, which is an intentional reference to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel's vision, the Son of Man, comes from the throne of God to the earth in clouds of heaven to judge the world. In Daniel chapter 7, read a couple of those passages in Daniel 7, 9 and 10. Daniel says, I kept looking until thrones were set up. Thrones. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands were attending him, myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were open. I kept looking in the next two verses, 13, 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And and to him it was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Remember, the clouds referred to here are not the same as the clouds of our atmosphere. They are specifically referring to the clouds describing the glory of God's very presence, the Shekinah glory. That's the reference when you see this happening in the Old Testament and in the New. With this statement, Jesus is saying he will come to earth at the end of time in the Shekinah glory to judge the earth. This is astonishing what he's saying to the high priest and to the Sanhedrin. Jesus is making a claim to be deity. His answer is way beyond what the high priest expected him to confess. Jesus is not only claiming to be the Messiah, yes I am, but also Yahweh in the way he answers and the judge of all the earth. In a sense, what Jesus is saying is you guys think you're the judges, but I am the judge. Take heed. Because regardless of what you do to me here, I will be back. you got to see this. Jesus is, is claiming not to be just a great teacher, a leader, a healer, but the divine judge of all. That's astonishing. That's audacious. Well, when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, Yahweh, Son of Man, Judge of all the earth, the response of the Sanhedrin, I can tell you, was explosive. <laughs> the high priest tore his clothes. I mean, these were expensive garments. The high priest all decked out in these robes. He tore them. Accused Jesus of blasphemy. He knew he's claiming to be God. Some spit on him, blindfolded him, beat him with their fists, and slapped him in the face for that comment. You claim to be God, Yahweh? 
the son of man. Okay. And they can, they all condemned him to be worthy of death. The whole Sanhedrin did. And now we come, final part of this, Jesus the condemned. Now what's very interesting to me about this is, uh, in truth, Jesus is the judge who was judged. Does that remind you of anything? When the high priest asked him, who are you? Jesus could have responded several different ways that would not have caused such a violent response. He wouldn't have been condemned. All he had to do is say, yes, I'm the Messiah. But Jesus intentionally chose to refer to Daniel 7 to affirm that he was the one like the Son of Man who's coming to judge the earth. And with that choice, he affirms that he is the judge. Why does he affirm that? Because he's in a courtroom. He's going to tell the truth. He's going to testify to the truth. But don't you see, this points us again to this uh, huge reversal we see in the whole content of the gospel itself. He is the judge who's being judged. He should be the one in the judgment seat. We should be the ones on trial. This reversal is really the core and content of the gospel. He took our place in the judgment. This is just a picture of it. Not only that, we learn uh, from Jesus' unlawful trial and conviction that Jesus doesn't just suffer for us. He's actually suffering with us. with all who are weak or oppressed. When he's put on trial, he's identifying with the poor, the oppressed, the powerless. And I think Paul brings that idea out in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where he talks about this. And he says, you know the grace of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus identifies with people who've been crushed uh, by the economic, social, and political powers of the day. In a sense, he's standing in with us. He didn't have to. I was recently reading the testimony of an African-American woman, Joanne Terrell, who listen to this, who actually came to faith in Christ after reading the account of Jesus' trial and crucifixion. She wrote about it in the New York Times Magazine. Here's what she said. Jesus, I suddenly realized, not only suffered for us, he suffered with us. I suddenly realized he knows literally what it is like to be under the lash. He knows what it's like to stand up to those in power and pay for it with his life. He knows what it's like to be the victim of a corrupt judicial system. In fact, Jesus was lynched. You know, you realize Christianity is the only faith that says God, God experienced injustice. Because Jesus died in our place, 
and took the condemnation and penalty for our sins that we deserved, the gospel proclaims, this is the good news. Those who believe in him are justified before God, do not come into judgment, are declared righteous in his sight, and have been given the gift of eternal life, sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's just amazing. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you've never done so, could I urge you, invite you to believe in Jesus and receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus who willingly, voluntarily, stood in judgment, not for his sins, but for ours, so that we might be saved. Lord, we, we look at the cruel injustice he experienced, and would you help us to let that move our hearts closer to him, who loved us that much? Help us to live lives of grace that you've, so abundantly granted to us, trusting when we're hurt or offended or abused, trusting all judgment to you, the one who judges everything and everyone righteously. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.